his eyes closed. His heart sank, his head banged back against the cinder block wall. The question haunted him and he couldn't get past it. Uh, maybe it started as a nagging sensation, that, that the itch of a bug bite that was more annoying than it was painful, but it had grown from being an irritation to an inconsolable question haunting him. And now it wasn't in the back of his mind, it was all he could think about. It must have dripped down his brow with sweat during the days and as he shivered with it at night, it haunted him still. It sat in his stomach with hunger and he felt it on his tongue with each parched breath. All he had now was time to think. Sitting in the cell, he could replay over and over the moments before his arrest. He'd been on the front lines. He'd led the calls for justice. Everyone looked up to him as a leader, undaunted and unaffected by the corruption around him. He'd firmly believed that God was doing something powerful, something fresh, something new that would finally set things right. And he got to be a part of that. He had been so sure, so certain. He had given everything to follow. What he believed was God's best for him, for humanity, and for creation. But now, now he wondered. Theologically, the signs had been there, uh, but looking back, he's replaying it, wondering, were they really, or did he just want them to be? Was God really in this work, or had he just hoped he would be and started running ahead, asking God to catch up with him? But then he goes back personally, he felt the power He'd felt the electricity of what he thought was the Spirit of God, affirming these things to be true. He found his own heart convinced, emboldened, and even brazen in his clarion call for change. For people to stop believing false stories about God and each other and get back in line with God's ongoing mission to bring redemption. Even staring down the face of the military, he had stared back across the lines and called for them to act justly and with mercy. To corrupt businessmen, he had unwaveringly called them to fair and ethical practices. And don't get me started on the religious who only said they loved God, but never demonstrated it in love of neighbor. There was more than enough stories to go around. But was it just his youthful fervor and not really the hand of God? But it wasn't just him. Others had believed it too. They had been caught up in the invitation to a new and a better way of life as God's people. They'd heard his words. They'd seen the signs and oriented their lives alongside him. They too had said they were giving everything to see the good news announced and embodied in their marriages, in their families, in their homes, in their neighborhoods, and God willing, even their country to the end of the earth. They'd all longed to see justice pour down, like the prophets had said, justice rolling down the mountains. But even as he thought of those people, he was forced to remember the faces of those who used to believe, those who had said, we're with you till death, only to leave when life pressed in. Those who had felt those same things and walked away, who were back at their old lives and their old practices, 
Maybe he'd gotten it all wrong and he was just the last to figure it out. Had blind optimism obscured his vision? Had his parents' beliefs been pressed on him in such a way that he longed for them to be true, but they really weren't, and it was just mythology passed down? The more he shoved the questions down, the more he needed to know the answer. John the Baptist had to know, had he gotten it all wrong? Had he gone all in on the wrong guy? It's one thing when a stranger lets you down, but when it's family, what was going on? Had the kingdom of God really come? Or was this just a short-lived social phenomenon? Was the gospel really true? Or had he ever just wished it were? I just gave you a little bit of the history of a man named John, Jesus' cousin, also known as, known as John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. Uh, we, we're coming in on Matthew 11 at a moment in his life where he's sitting in a cell. And all these questions are welling up inside of him, such so that he sends some of his followers to go ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Did you really bring the kingdom or should we look for another Jail has a way of bringing those questions out, doesn't it? All you can do is sit in the cell. All you can do is think. All you can do is wonder, where did I go wrong or did I? Maybe you haven't been having that question in jail, but let me uh, push you back for one question uh, before we jump into Matthew 11 and read it together. Have you ever felt like John? Uh, maybe not your cousin claimed to be the Messiah. If that's the case, we could have a different conversation. Um, but the question of, hey, I'm going all in on this Jesus thing, but the world doesn't seem to be the way that I thought it would if Jesus really was king. Like you might have that question that haunts you in a hospital room or at a graveside or in your seventh grade biology class or your freshman year psychology class or when your spouse turns away from you and away from God or your best friend or a pastor that you once followed with all fervor steps away from the faith and you're wondering, is this all really true or did I just wish it were? Like, is the kingdom really here? I would invite you to go ahead and turn to a few people around you and answer that question. Have you ever felt like John? The answer, fair answer is no. The fair answer is yes. Go ahead and talk about that just a little bit. But uh, go ahead and turn towards each other. I'm just going to give you a real short amount of time. But stepping into this story, have you ever felt like John's describing right here? Uh, go ahead and turn towards each other, and I'll pull you back in just a moment. Um, uh, we started off this series, Kingdom Come, with the idea that the kingdom doesn't just be given one day in the future, but according to Jesus, it's here right now, and that changes absolutely everything. And so we've taken uh, small bites of this kingdom, little snapshots along the way for the last few weeks, looking at this kingdom and what's true about this kingdom if what Jesus says really is. And so we've asked the question, what does it mean? It's a kingdom of abundance, right? It's a kingdom where Jesus covers our shame and we looked at the story of the water turned into wine and then we uh, broke out and we had smaller uh, gatherings in homes where we talked through the sort of people that Jesus lets into his kingdom or that he came for, right? It wasn't the sick, those, it wasn't the healthy, those who thought they had it all together and were self-righteous and looked really good on the outside, but those who were sick and knew they needed a savior, Jesus came and extended welcome to those people to bring them into the kingdom. 
And the reason I, I want us to focus on this story, this snapshot of the kingdom, is because this matters a lot. Because at some point, you will ask that question that John asked. At some point, you will. And, and you might not be there yet in, in your journey following Jesus. You might be like, yo, I drank from that well a lot. Like, I go back there regularly and ask that question. All right, Jesus, is this real? All right, Jesus, let's have that. Hear this. When you go to Jesus, listen, because he will answer you. That's what we're going to learn from this story, right? You can bring your question to Jesus. He's big enough to handle it. You're not offending him to ask, are, are you legit? Are you real? Is this all real? He's big enough to handle it. But then after you do, my encouragement is to do what John's going to have to do. Listen to the answer, because he will speak back. But, fair warning, honest disclosure, the answer might not be what you want. As John's going to find out here, and this comes with the command in there, Jesus is going to have at the end of this text. And so this matters because we will all be at this point someday because there is so much that is in the not yet portion. We talked about how Jesus, when he came, he brought the kingdom from the future into the right now, but that overlapped with a bit of the broken world, right? The old order, the order of sin, disease, death, brokenness, loneliness, isolation, oppression, that, that's all still here, but his new kingdom breaks into that just a lot slower than we ever probably wished it would but perfectly according to his plan. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're gonna be in Matthew 11 for the rest of the time. Matthew 11, I'm just gonna make a few notes as we read this. Uh, after Jesus had ins finished instructing the 12, uh, for those of you that love to study the small little facts of your Bible, uh, John is, or Matthew's gonna do this five times throughout his gospel. And so each time, uh, many authors say that he's probably uh, giving them teaching that would mirror in their mind the first five books of the Bible. So G John, Matthew and his gospel setting up Jesus as the true and greater Moses. Moses wrote the Pentateuch. And so this would be another way that he's showing that, that Jesus was that true and greater one who's gonna give words to live by that people can flourish as they live in it. That's why he spends the most time in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount casting out this new way of life. And each one of these five moments or breaks in the book are chances for him to do that. Some of you don't care about that. That's all right. You're welcome here. Uh, some of you are like, that's really interesting. I'm going to look that up. It's there. I didn't make it up. Uh, he does it five times. So after he finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went down from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, so that's his cousin, right? John. When John was in, who was in prison... He was in prison because he had preached justice to Herod at the time. And Herod had said, uh, hey, you're not going to tell me what to do in my married life. You're not going to tell me who and who I can't sleep with. You're not going to tell me what justice looks like. And so because I don't like your message, I'm going to put you in jail. And at that moment, right, John, we, we know he preached a lot. He had preached and heralded, we need to repent. But we don't know how people responded as time went on. And so he's got these moments to ask these questions. Jesus, is this really true? So he hears about the deeds of the Messiah, the works of Jesus, what he's doing. And, and catch this, because he says, uh, because of those acts, he then sends his disciples to go ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Are you that Messiah? Are you the rescuer? Are you the healer? Are you the restorer? Or should we expect someone else? And, and we can't miss this. It's actually because of his works that John has the questions. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. It's actually because of what Jesus is doing that it's prompting the questions. Wait a second. Are you really the Messiah? 
I had expected something drastically different, and the way that you're acting is not living into the script that I had created for what Jesus you should be doing. And he was not far off. Um, a lot of people at the time expected the Messiah to come back on a big old horse with a big old sword and smoke a whole lot of Romans. Like they had expected a military endeavor, this wrecking ball to come sweeping through Israel and set things right and put Israel back in the rightful place. Uh, John would have known passages like Isaiah 35, which says, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. How will I do that? Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Come on now, tell me how. Your God will come. That's what I'm waiting for. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. Isaiah 35 would have been in John's mind. He's like, that's what he's supposed to come like. But Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors. Jesus is going to parties. He's turning water into wine. Are you kidding me? I wanted to see fields of dead Romans or at least somebody coming out over top of them. Like, you should have toppled this empire by now. But Jesus coming in with mercy and a kindness and a gentleness that highlights the violence of the world in a way that would never have been seen before. Radically different from every Messiah before him. And so the disciples come to Jesus, and Jesus, uh, in this story, right, he doesn't say, are you kidding me? Right, they, they come to Jesus, or, John, Jesus, I got to ask you, John, my bu- you know John, your cousin John, right? John told us to come here and ask you, so what I'm about to ask you is, what, tell him what he told you to tell me. Come on, now, go ahead and tell him. And so Jesus would hear the words of the disciples saying, are you the one, or should we wait for another? And Jesus, with kindness, with gentleness, right, with, without an overtone of anger or demeaning, replies basic word he replies go back and report to john what you hear and see the blind receive sight the lame walk those who have leprosy are cleansed the deaf hear the dead are raised the good news is proclaimed to the poor what jesus does he goes to the second half of isaiah 35 which reads like this, starting in verse five. Then, and so this is talking about when the, when the Messiah comes, then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap like deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth out of the wilderness and streams in the desert. He goes straight to the second half of that chapter and he says, this is all happening. Tell him what you see, that God is coming and vengeance will be dealt. It's not like what you expect, but hear this. The kingdom is actually here and there are absolutely evidences of that being seen and felt and experienced and seen in this world right now. It is breaking in. Don't overlook that. And then he gives the command, blessed heralding back to Matthew 5, talking about what it looks like to live a flourishing life. Blessed is the one who does not stumble, who does, who does not fall into a scandal because of me. Uh, blessed is the one who can enter in and trust me as I am as a king, not laying your own agenda on top of what I should or shouldn't do in any given moment. And so the answer for John when he was wavering in his faith was the unwavering good news that Jesus is king and his kingdom has broken in. Look and see what's happening around you. Look and see. Look and see. The kingdom has actually come.
And so it's a kingdom of healing in a world of hurt. The blind, the deaf, the mute, those that are suffering under the weight of a curse on this world are having those things reversed in their life. And he goes after the things that are very obvious, external. If you can't walk and then you can walk, that's pretty apparent something changed, right? And just because he doesn't list it off, there's a myriad of other ways that you can look around you and say, how do we know that the kingdom is really here? The invitation tonight is going to be, look around you, look in you. Where are your addictions, your angers, your loneliness being erased? Where is your need to prove yourself in front of others going down because you're raising up the reality that Jesus already approves of you? Where are you finding yourself set free from what holds you? It's an evidence of the kingdom. Why as you look around you, how do you see that taking place? When you see businesses sparking up for the common good of a city because the gospel's true, new creation breaking in. Uh, when you see lives being transformed individually, marriages being restored, addictions being broken, uh, that's what he would say. Look, this is all really taking place. It's the power of the spirit at work in this age. Don't miss it. It's a kingdom of healing in a world of hurt a kingdom of good news in a world of good advice. He goes and he announces and he puts on the end, tell John that this good news, the royal announcement, isn't just going to those that are religious and have it all together or the, the high ups or those are in the upper echelons of society who have real authority and real power. Go and tell them this good news that Jesus reigns is being announced to the poor, the least, the lonely, the left out, the ones God has always had his eye on. Go tell him that. Nobody's coming along and giving them three steps to a better life and to work yourself out of poverty by grabbing your bootstraps, right? He's saying, no, God sees you. He's present with you and he will rescue you. Come find your place in God's kingdom. Come find your place at the table. Go, make sure you tell John. This is good news of events that have taken place. I am here. Not just good advice. Here's what you need to do to make yourself better. And we would do well to remember that ourselves, that God's kingdom is one based in good news of events accomplished. Uh, we don't just look back to Jesus coming, but you're supposed to read Matthew with the reality that you know how the story ends, that Jesus dies and then he rises again and new creation breaks forward even more powerfully in the world today that his spirit has been unleashed, right? You're supposed to read that looking back saying, those good news events are even more incredible than what John had to look at. Like we look back and we see Jesus and say, he lived, he died, he rose again, new creation is here, everything's different, but we need to go back and actively put that back in our minds and retell ourselves that good stories. Otherwise we devolve back to living as people of good advice telling ourselves how to get a little bit better instead of reminding ourselves that we're truly alive and so are our imaginations and our hearts and our loves and our affections can fully be found in Jesus. And then lastly, it's a, it's a kingdom of power in a world of overpromising and undelivering saviors. It's a world of, it's a kingdom of power in a world of overpromising and underdelivering saviors. There is no shortage of people, no shortage of people who want to tell you uh, how they will improve your life for you. I don't know if you have a cell phone, but you've been getting text messages telling you that every single day. Anybody? Right? Like, like you try to watch a TV show, and if you don't pay for like the ad-free Hulu, which 
I don't because it came free with something else. Uh, you have to watch like Mark Kelly and Martha McSally. Go at it. Ad after ad after ad, right? And you're like, can I vote whoever else there? I would literally vote for whoever else just because they're not one of those two yelling at each other. Like, but it's not an option on my ballot. Um, it's not telling you who to vote for. Calm down. Let's just say it. But we have no shortage. And if it's not the politicians, then it is the pundits talking about the politicians, right? And if it's not them, it's the rush diet that you can go on or the new workout regimen or the new beer you can drink or the new car you can drive or the new house you can get. There are tons of things promising to tell you this is what the good life is. And if you only have this, you will grasp it. What Jesus came and announced in his kingdom was so much different. He said, if you have me, you have everything. If you have me, you have everything. I was uh, talking to a friend this week and they asked what we uh, were doing on Sunday and then um, asked what, like, just what I was teaching and I talked about God's kingdom and he's like, man, like, like castles and stuff? I was like, yeah, just like castles and coasters, bro. Thanks for that. Like, you can tune in, it'll be online later. So you can pay attention. Um, but he's like, like castles and stuff? Because in his mind, right, it goes right to kingdom. It goes to the magic kingdom. It goes to castles. It goes to knights. It goes to other things like that. And the reality that God's kingdom was not just to set up castles across the earth. But hear this, his kingdom outreach, his actual reign being displayed in the kingdom was not in buildings, but it was in your lives. Right, right? So as the kingdom was meant to be displayed, your life is supposed to be the kingdom, that reign of God being displayed as a place of healing in a world of hurt. Like, that's, that's us. Like, our stories, if we don't tell them, people don't get to see how we're being made whole. But we are. If you're in Christ, you are absolutely, maybe wrestling, maybe struggling, maybe not getting it all together, but you are being made whole. You're being healed. And Christ has healed you from sin and set you free from oppression and death. That's real. Our lives are meant to announce and embody good news, not just good advice, wherever we're sent. And that means if you work in downtown Phoenix, if you work in downtown Mesa, if you work in your basement, you are meant to display the kingdom of God in that place through your work. And as you have opportunity, share good news with people, live lives that are good news, heralding back to Jesus and all that he's done. And then our lives are supposed to demonstrate power. Hear this, family, this is real. The spirit of the living God is at work in us and through us. But do we pay attention? Are, are we noticing? Or are we so distracted that when asked, how is God at work in and around us? We're like, uh, I don't know, but I could tell you like my Netflix queue. I don't know, but I could tell you what's on my calendar. Hint, some of the stuff in your calendar is probably where he's at work. Um, Brad, I see you in the middle. Uh, told me to watch a show called My Octopus Teacher. Have any of you guys watched that? It's on Netflix and it's phenomenal. It's like mind blowing. This guy goes every day for like a year and goes and swims in this underwater sea kelp place, right? Like 50 degree water. And that's not even the highlight of the story, but he's swimming, it's unreal. And he's got this HD camera that captures everything. And he tracks the life of this octopus. And I'm not gonna ruin the whole story because you don't know how this one ends, right? Um, but the guy forms a bomb. But as he goes down there, day after day after day after day, he notices all the intricacies of this kelp forest, from the, the mollusks that are on the floor to how the sharks act, to how the octopus acts, to forming bonds, to paying attention to all these small little nuances that he would have never caught when all he did was enter the water the first time and think, goodness gracious, this is cold. 
But as he started to pay attention, time after time, paying attention, being mindful of what was going on around him, his curiosity being heightened, his imagination spurring him forward, it began to occupy his thoughts, even when he wasn't in the water. He tears up talking about an octopus because he's so immersed, literally, in that world. And the invitation for us, and what I'd love to say is, as we now have a few minutes in this space, I want us to, to pay attention, to, to be observant, to think, and pay careful mind. Where is the kingdom demonstrating its reality in our midst now? Where is the reign of God? If you have a problem with kingdom because you're going magic kingdom, reign of God. Where is the reign of God showing off its power for us right now? Is it in you? Is it through you? Are you seeing it worked out in your missional community or maybe your vocation? Uh, maybe in your own heart, the Spirit's been doing some crazy work and you're like, man, I need to grasp onto that. The invitation is to be immersed in a world where we see the kingdom of God as the true realm in which we live, that he really is here, he really is present, his spirit is alive, it is powerful, he is working out healing, and no matter what else the world wants to tell you in this moment is king, it is Jesus. But it's gonna take effort because you have a billion stories to that one story trying to get your attention. And so we've got a few minutes because I didn't preach too long, so I want us to go back to those groups one more time uh, before you do that, though, we're going to pause and let you collect your thoughts. You don't have to just start talking out of nervous energy. I love you. You're welcome. Introverts celebrate. Uh, extroverts always get their moment, and so we're going to give you a second. But just take a moment and pause and think, where do I see evidence that the kingdom has come? You are welcome to talk about yourself and how God is changing you. You are welcome to talk about how you see it in your neighborhood or in your missional community or whatever church you come from. You're, where do you see this? And the hope and the prayer is that these stories begin to reform us so that we can be in this world and not stumble in offense because Jesus isn't coming as quick as we think he should or toppling whatever political party we think should be toppled. Or he's not changing that one piece of my life that I've wrestled with my whole life when there's a million other ways that he has been at work. And so I want us to be observant, to pay attention. Jesus gave those words, blessed is he who does not stumble on account of me, meaning who does not look for me to do something that I wasn't gonna do and so can never believe. Who, who can't enter into joy right now because they can't see where I'm at work. But blessed is the one who's able to see where I'm at work and firmly puts their trust in me as king. So take a moment in silence, and just think, where do you see evidences that the kingdom has come? On Friday, I went for a 13-point-something uh, mile hike and literally thought I was not going to make it. Uh, true story. Uh, my, uh, I've never had this happen before. My uh, quads started to tighten up, and as I was walking, I was like, how tight does it go before they cramp up? Like, I've never had, like, an exhaustion cramp or, like, anything like that. I've gotten, like, kicked and then you cramp up like playing soccer but that's different because you know what happened right you got kicked and then it cramps up but I was like how tight does it have to actually get before like I'm gonna be on the ground like that right and it was like tightening I was like taking steps and I'm like, I think I might need to rest a little bit um the longer and longer that you go on right the longer and longer that you go and exhaustion your body starts operating a little bit differently and uh you start to really really long for the end of that hike 
Like, like I, you, thankfully, this particular hike was downhill like the last mile. Otherwise, uh, you might have been carrying me off the hill. But as you get tired, you start to look toward and long for it to be over, for things to finally, finally be set right and sitting in the truck and driving in air conditioning. In the biblical story, we find ourselves right now in this story in a season where I'm guessing a lot of us are exhausted for a myriad of different reasons. 2020 has been a lot longer than a 13.7 mile hike. This election season is draining. The battles that you're facing on your own, uh, in your own mind or in your families and in your neighborhoods are exhausting and tiring. And at some point may cause you to ask the question, like, is this really gonna ever be made right? Will this finally be set the way that it's intended to be? Jesus, will every tear be wiped from every eye and sadness and sickness and disease and death and oppression and loneliness and isolation and all the things that are broken about your creation, will they really be made right? Or do I just wish they were? And I want you to hear these loving words of Jesus that he is king. He is reigning. He is great and in control and has not left you and still sees you and still sees us. And rather than giving us a textbook to remember that by, he gave us a meal. And so our encouragement today is to look back and see the body of Jesus hanging on a cross and resurrected to new life and say, yes, what God did, and he writes as right, what God did in Jesus at the resurrection, he will one day do for his whole creation. That is coming and that is certain and that is sure. And hear this coming from me because I'm gonna need you to repeat it back to me at some point, I promise you. But hear this, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can be absolutely certain that the kingdom has come and Jesus really does reign. And so that's why we remember that with a meal every single week that we gather, to go in the back and take a piece of the bread and take the juice to remember that Jesus was yes slain, yes it was dark, yes it seemed like enemy had won, but he has also risen again to newness of life and will one day do that for his creation. And all who are bowed a knee to him in allegiance get to enjoy a restored earth with him. And so the invitation, I'm gonna pray, and then you're gonna be invited, if you're a follower of Jesus, to go back to the table and grab a piece of the bread over the next song, grab a cup of the juice and return to your seat. Um, we'll take communion all together after this next song. But would you pray with me? Jesus, you are a good, good king. You love us, you've rescued us. God, you're healing us of things that we have long, long prayed over. And so I ask that you bring those to mind. God, for my sisters and brothers, as we lean in with our questions right now saying, God, I'm experiencing this. Are you really the one? Would your voice as steady and as gentle as you answered John, whisper to our hearts even as we go to the table. And I don't know what's causing us to ask that question. It could be a myriad of things. But Jesus, would you show yourself as a true and greater king, a true and greater savior? And would we find our place at your table, nourished by your meal, welcomed in as your daughter or your son, and would that cause our hearts to rest? And would we have the endurance to continue on in faithfulness?
We ask this in your name, Jesus, and by the power of your Holy Spirit who's here. Amen. Amicia Mesa, you're welcome to the table. And just hold on to those elements, and I'll lead us in communion between the next two songs.